Every 30 days, Studio Wesley Book Club ponders a new book that we believe is relevant to the work of spiritual growth and to the life of the church. Here, you'll hear different members of our community discuss how these books have impacted them and what they have learned from them. an episode of our book club with talking about the book Active Faith by Paul Chilcote. I am the ministry associate for CCW Campus to City Wesley and I am here with Neil McMichael, Grace Rogers, and Renard Spence. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Neil. I am a worship fellow uh, for CCW and um yeah, I don't know. Aside from worship, I just do a whole lot of stuff for CCW, but mostly worship stuff. Hello there. Um, I'm Grace, Grace Rogers, um, and I'm an intern at CCW. Um, I'm, I just recently um, started doing the UNF CCW Instagram, so follow that if you're not following it, and all of our other platforms um but yeah great to be here hello my name is renard i am a ministry fellow for campus to city wesley and i go to school at fscj planning to study religion and become a pastor in the united methodist church in my free time i like to spend time with friends and i'm a bachelor extraordinaire i just I love you all so much, Neil, Grace, and Renard, and I'm really, really grateful that y'all are here right now. Um, so I have prepared a few questions about the book, and I am really excited to hear your answers. Our first question is, um, Paul Chilko writes about the dangers of pride and says that we must do everything we can to cultivate humility in ourselves because the pride is the root of so much evil. Um, and I, I have really found that to be true for myself. I, um, I struggle with holding too tightly to my beliefs, even though they're not like fundamentalist beliefs. I still have ideas where I'm like, if this isn't true about God, then like nothing is true. So I'm, really challenged to figure out how to apply humility in my own life. And I'm hoping that y'all might help me come up with an answer for that question. Um, my first question, this one is kind of like a two parts, one question type of question, um, is, is it hard for you to have humility in your beliefs? Or does that come easy to you? Like, I know a lot of people who hold their beliefs loosely very easily. And then some people are like me and I just naturally hold onto things very tightly, even though Jesus tells me to hold them loosely. Um, and what practices do you have to ward off arrogance? Like, is there something that helps you feel looser and your beliefs are more humble? Or are you still working to develop practices like that? And 
we will start with, I would love to hear your answer to this question, Renard. Your face is on my screen and I can just like see you thinking about all of this. What was the first question? Did you hear me? No. <laughs> this is why they edit. They're going that's to edit a, this out. That's it's a lot. That was, that was a lot. I was like, okay, so what's the first question? Um, is it hard for you to have humility in your beliefs? And what practices do you have to cultivate that humility, either in yourself or in your spirituality? Okay, so the the first one I'm gonna to respond to, I would say yes, I have. It's hard. It's hard for me to be, um, be humble, and um, it's hard. I would say it's it's just um, it's real hard for me, and I can't really like think of. I just think if, at least it's hard for me because I feel like um, at least for me, like growing up as Christian, like I always felt like um, like if we believe, you know, if we were to just believe, you know. Which I do, I believe, you know, then it would, um, I would have it like all figured out and like growing, going through like looking back, you know, faith still comes with like hard work and it still takes like a lot of, de um, at least like a lot of prayer and a lot of um, being around other Christians and being open to sharing um, my faith and um, story with others. Um, one of the practices that I do a lot um, now that I didn't used to do is um, a thing called breath prayer. And I feel like breath prayer is um, very like beneficial for me because um, my mind like always like, my mind is like always going. And so um, one, one of the ways for me to like calm my mind down and just like get in the moment is like through a, through um, breath prayer. I find it very like calming and relaxing and, keeps me focused on like on what on God and being able to hear what God's trying to tell me in that moment. I am so grateful that you brought up breath prayer, Renard, because that is such a practical practice. And I found that same thing. Like when nothing else works, breath prayer usually does something. Mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I find it funny that you don't, identify with humility in your beliefs because I have witnessed you go from not knowing where you stood on LGBTQ affirmation to now like being so for it and so passionate about bringing your church there. Um, and I think that any, any theological transformation requires some great deal of humility. Um, Neil, I am also very curious about your answer to this question. Uh, yeah, so in the first chapter, Paul talks about um, sort of the dangers of fundamentalism and having like gone to uh, or having gone to and graduated from a very fundamentalist school, especially like some of the, the harder like Bible classes that I took at Trinity. Um, 
Because, like, the standard Bible classes are basically just coaches who gave you really basic questions such as, who did Jesus blind on the road to Damascus? A, Paul. B, LeBron James. C, like, brain dead easy that anyone can pass. Basically just a free grade as long as you put in 2% effort. But the harder classes that I took, uh, the professors I had were very like fundamentalists and they were biblical lit, you know, literates and stuff. So there was just such like an absolutism and like no longer being in that place of being like super absolute in this, these are my beliefs and stuff. Like, this is what's right. Uh, I go back and I see what they post on Facebook and like, still they're just in that just absolutism. Like, this is what's going to happen. Like you need to do these things. I'm just like, wow. Um, so it took me a little while to become a little bit more humble um, and, you know, implement a little bit of humility into my beliefs. And in the book, he actually gives like a list of ways to practice humility. And I noticed that I already do them. <laughs> but one of them, what is it? He said to quiet yourself, seek illumination and examine your life. And I've noticed that like quieting myself is pretty important. Because sometimes, like, whenever my ego does flare up outside of, like, faith, it's, like, pretty loud. So you just kind of have to go, hey, shh. And then you just lay out the facts. And it's like, listen, you're not all that. And when it comes to faith, it's just a matter of, listen, other people believe differently from you. Just because you believe a certain way doesn't mean that, like, you know, what someone else believes is necessarily wrong. You know, so I think that's, I think that's my long-winded answer of uh how i try to implement humility into my faith and beliefs yeah thank you so much for that neil um i really appreciate that it's so true with the (laughs) the shooting um i have to ask how did ccw's value of generous orthodoxy first seem to you when you started coming and visiting CCW. Um, Just for context, CCW has a value of generous orthodoxy, which means that we are given freedom and really cultivate freedom to see which theological beliefs fit with our own. And we really welcome, welcome conversation and disagreement about that variance of beliefs. Did that first seem really weird to you, Neil? Or was that something that you welcomed right away? Uh, A little bit. It seemed weird, but I didn't necessarily have any pushback towards it. Like, you know, when I first came into CCW, it felt like my whole world was turned upside down. I had never seen or read a liturgy before. Like, they play different music and everything. And just the whole vibe was so you know, different. But I guess when it came to generous orthodoxy, it felt more liberating, you know, whereas like at Trinity sometimes, especially coming out of it, like I felt like I was just put into a little box. But, you know, in the concept of generous orthodoxy, I was just sort of released in a way. I was like, no, you you go find out what you believe. Because I went on a whole journey to find out what it was I believed, but the problem was I was still trapped in this box of fundamental evangelicalism. So I really couldn't go very far. But, you know, when I came to CCW, it's like, 
I feel, felt like I had a, a whole world in front of me that I haven't ever seen before. So it took a little bit, but eventually it did impact me in a big way to where I was like, oh, wow. You know, so. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Neil. Um, and Grace, what, um, how do you relate to humility in regards to your faith? And do you have any practices or advice for how we can moderate that within ourselves? Um, yeah, so I, I'm a four wing three. I tend to put that into most conversations because I'm a four wing three, but, um, I do have a lot of tendencies where like I get really arrogant and I don't recognize that I'm being arrogant. Um, so it's it's just hard to remember that not everyone is going to agree with me or have the same line of thinking as me. Um, and so I just get really caught up in my own existence, my own line of thinking that I'll honestly just like forget to consider that other people might think differently, um, which is kind of crappy, but recognizing it and I'm trying. Um, but also with humility like it's hard for me to balance um like both ends of that spectrum um I'm currently starting classes for my ethics minor and I'm pumped they're fantastic they're beautiful and we're starting off reading Aristotle and basically he has this thought that each of the like virtues um is this like there's this mean um measure for each of them so like average versus like each sides of that could be a vice so like there's humility um which would be the virtue that you're aiming towards and then there's the like extent of being arrogant but then there's also on the other side this thing of like maybe having zero confidence in anything and just being like oh my opinion doesn't matter it's fine um so it's honestly just hard for me to balance that with being overly arrogant. Because um, then, like, if I recognize that I'm being too arrogant, then I'll just revert into a state that's like, I just, I need to just not voice things because then I can't overpower anybody and then I can't make anyone feel bad. Um, but then I recognize I'm doing that and I'm like, no, I, I need to, I need to stand up for my, for my thoughts. Um, but it also just helps to be around people who can take me down a notch in a way that's not going to make me like defensive. Like this is just a very simple example, but at work um, we're hiring a bunch of new people right now. And so there's a girl that it's her very first job. And so one of my other friends saw me getting frustrated because I was like, why doesn't she get this? Like she's been working here a week already. Why doesn't she understand this? Um, but I've also been there a year and a half. So I know the system and so she's like, hey, just like, remember, this is this girl's first job. Um, so it is going to be harder for her to like, just get used to the flow of things, not only because she's new, but it's her very first job. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Thank you for reminding me that. Um, so yeah, just be around a good community. Community is so special. <laughs> I really appreciate that perspective, Grace. My life is being enriched by 
you sharing with us all of the things that you are learning in your philosophy and ethics classes. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and that's such a thing. I, it is really hard to know the difference between self-deprecation and humility and the way that God intends. I always think of this quote by Brene Brown, and she might have gotten it from somewhere else, that says, like, hold your space, but don't hold more than your space, and don't hold less than your space. Like, don't let someone make you small, but also don't make yourself too big. And I have a really hard time remembering that when I really need to remember it, but I really, really like that principle. All right, the second question is, um, this one, I know that Neil and Bernard, I don't know how much you identify with like social justice stuff, but I, I know that this was really in my head when I was reading this. So I understand if y'all don't have an answer to this question, but it's still something that if you have thoughts on, I would be interested to hear from them. And maybe you have more thoughts on it because you aren't in the middle of all of that social justice stuff. Um, I don't identify with Christian fundamentalism, but I definitely identify with the judgmentalism and dogmatism that was discussed in this chapter. When it comes to social justice or socially moral issues, I can be pretty forceful and perhaps prideful. Um, how can we practice humility even in those situations? Because I really struggle with it because I'm like, this is definitely right. Like, it's definitely right to listen to people who have marginalized identities. It's definitely right to create space at the table. It's definitely right to participate in this thing or to not do this. And I can definitely be very tight about that and not have much generosity for people who don't have that perspective. So I'm curious if y'all have thoughts about what people who can be have tendencies towards fundamentalism in a different way can walk into those situations with more grace. And I am curious if you have any thoughts about this grace. Going back to my um, ethics classes, actually, um, in my in my second class about like intellectual virtues and vices, we started off with open mindedness, and I think that that ties in really well with just, I mean, especially dogmatism. Like we spent a while just discussing that and thinking like, okay, you can't be too open minded to like give up your thoughts, but then you can't be so closed minded that you won't listen to anyone else's, um, and so it just feels like there's this way that we have to present ourselves that isn't going to immediately shut off someone else's opinion, even if we completely disagree with it. And like, like even if you're talking to a racist, like obviously racism is so wrong. Like it's just, there's no arguing like racism is wrong, but in that person's mindset, 
they think they're right. And so you have to like enter into a conversation with this person where like you're presenting yourself in a way that isn't going to shut them off. Cause like, if you go at someone who has like racist opinions, you can't just, or I guess you can, but going in and yelling whether like that's justified or not, obviously. Cause like there's lots of anger on both sides. Um, when you go in and you have this conversation that's more of like two people yelling at each other instead of like, like even if I disagree with somebody, if I start this conversation with you where I at least make space for your opinions in this conversation, um, then like it opens up a conversation for social justice, um, which obviously there's some people who are just not going to get it, which sucks. But to start those conversations, whether I agree with somebody or not, I just have to recognize, like, hey, from their perspective, like, they still want to be able to explain themselves just like I want to explain myself. So just, like, taking a step back and putting myself into that person's thoughts, regardless of what they are. Um, I'm just thinking, like, if I'm this person, how would I want to be in conversation, if that makes sense. Yes, I, I appreciate those thoughts so much. Um, of course, and I think this has been an issue for a lot of people, but if you have been aware of my life in little ways this summer, it's just been a huge thing on my mind. And I really, really appreciate these calls to have more open-mindedness and gentleness in these conversations. Brenara, did you have any thoughts about this? And it's really okay if you don't. In terms of like the idea of like um, fundamentalism? Yeah, like how, how can we practice humility even if our fundamentalism and dogmatism and arrogance can come from a place of trying to prevent harm to others in the way that people in social justice circles can tend to do? I guess one way um, would just, at least for me, would just be like, just to be open and um, actively, actively listen and, you know, listen to what people, you know, people have to say. And um, we have to be willing to like, put like our, um, how can I say this, put like our stuff that we have against that person aside and like actually, you know, take the time to get to know the person. Yeah, I think that's such good advice, Renard. I have been hanging out with Peter, mm -hmm. um, Peter Patachi, and Peter said that he just keeps challenging himself to ask why in a situation before explaining like why he disagrees with something to ask why. And I definitely think that's a huge practice of humility. And Neil, you said that you have, you definitely have thoughts about this. And I am so, so curious to hear what they are. 
yeah, so I don't really relate to dogmatism uh, as much. I think maybe when I was younger, I was a bit more dogmatic, but these days I still kind of deal with being a bit judgmental towards other people of like diff differing beliefs. And to touch on the idea of social justice, like, you know, in the midst of everything going on, like a lot of, a lot of those Trinity people who are still in very much in that bubble, like, you know, grew up in that bubble and they're getting married, like within that bubble. Um, you know, they'll, they'll just share a lot of things. Like a lot of it has been fact-checked you know, to be false or partly false. And they share it like it's absolute gospel. Like, you know, they'll blindly defend the police without even considering that maybe there are at least some things that could be fixed. And it just makes me so mad. <laughs> like, I, I, I refuse to be one of those people that just starts arguments on Facebooks because I think it's a waste of time. Like, I, I just won't. But, you know, it makes me mad sometimes. Um, and like, you know, my emotions kind of blind me in a way. But to bring this to something I'm learning in uh, this class of mine called professional selling, which it has this concept when it comes to like dealing with, you know, someone like a potential buyer or something. There's like two concepts, there's two characteristics that are supposed to make a great salesperson. That's empathy and ego drive. And basically empathy is like the key thing that they talk about is you can understand how someone feels, but you don't have to agree with them. And that is sort of my way of like dealing with people who are, or at least communicating. I shouldn't say dealing. That kind of sounds bad. Um, that's my way of like communicating with people who are of a more like fundamentalist and traditional mindset is I just try to understand why they believe this way and not actively try to argue with them, you know, or try to like elevate myself in some sort of way. But instead, I just try to talk to them and see why it is they believe, you know, whatever it is we're discussing. And I think that's I think that's how I that's how I practice humility in those situations. It's just keeping myself calm, not letting anything get out of hand and basically just having a civil discussion, I suppose. So that's mine. I love that, Neil. There is so much wisdom in that perspective. And it's weird. I just know that I used to be on the other end with social justice issues. Like I used to be very skeptical of that. And over time, that question of why really changed my perspective. And I've also been that way with Christianity, where there is a point where every answer to Christianity, I could have seen as fundamentalism or something that I couldn't incorporate with myself. Um, so I think that practice of humility really can transform our beliefs. And I think that when we hold them loosely and kindly, it can transform our beliefs in a way that's not as scary as we can think when we aren't doing that. Oh, right. For our third question, we are moving on to chapter two, which is about the practice of joy and hospitality. I love the idea of welcoming people who are not like me and in doing so, increasing joy. How do you think we can practice hospitality in our own lives? And how can we practice it in the church? And Neil, you are actually the first person that I will ask this. 
yeah, hospitality, I guess, has always kind of been an important topic for me. Um, like, it's important. It was always important to me that, like, I feel welcome in a space. And CCW is great about that. Um, you know, just having an open table and letting anybody come in, you know, no, no judgment uh, at all. You know, uh, like Niall Horan says, when you're with me, no judgment. You can get that from everyone else. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have to quote at least one song lyric in this. Uh, but, you know, hospitali- hospitality is very important for me. It's very important to make everyone, like, feel welcome and feel like that they have a seat at the table. And, you know, once I'm, once I'm in the space of, okay, I'm comfortable, I'm wanted, I am loved and needed in this space, then I try um, to do the same for others who are maybe new in that space. Because, you know, th- there's, there's no worse feeling to me than, like, being in a room full of people but still feeling alone that's like the worst thing ever like because you know you just feel like you don't know anyone maybe no one has come up to you um but yeah no just being like hospitable and letting other people in even if they believe differently than you i think is just very important and very crucial uh especially in like in a time of you know social unrest such as this you know it's important to just not sit on the other side of the aisle and hurl insults and say whatever at the people on the other side who are yelling back at you. I think it's more important to sort of like meet in the middle and say, hi, let's have a talk over some boba tea. So that's, those are my thoughts on hospitality. Yeah, that was honestly my thought when I read this chapter. Um, Because I think I think that Paul Schulkut's primary idea with this is like finding people who have a different race or religion or like just this radically different experience of the world. But I read this and I was like, I need to talk to people who don't think like I do. Um, And I think that continually having that open table value of I'm going to sit down even with people who I don't disagree with, can be a loving and joy-giving thing to do. Grace, I'm curious if you have thoughts on this question of hospitality and how to practice it within ourselves and within the church. Yes. Um, I... I grew up in a church that was still, like, pretty affirming. Um, Definitely not, definitely further from the evangelical side than closer to it. Um, But I realized that I still grew up with, like, certain thoughts, like, thinking in terms of hospitality um, and, like, welcoming people. I grew up thinking that, like, I had to invite people to church or like everything had to be a church thing to like make them like that had to be my way of welcoming people was like hey do you want to go to this church thing with me um or like trying to convert people like I thought that my goal I thought that God made our goal to like bring as many people into Christianity as possible 
which technically, like Jesus says, go out and make disciples. That is part of his final instruction. But I thought that that had to be like the single solitary goal was just, I have to bring you into Christianity because if not, then your salvation and, and what's going to happen. Um, but the idea of hospitality is just like bringing somebody in and valuing them as a human, like without that motivation to bring them into, into my religion, I can just like be there for them and have a good bond and be a good friend. And like, part of that also includes like kind of going a bit back to maybe not necessarily social justice, but just like welcoming people who are different, like putting myself into a space that I know I'm going to have to learn about something different. Um, Cause it's really easy to just like stay in your bubble and like, maybe I won't have to encounter like anybody who's different from me. I, I have that option, but like putting myself into a space where I'm going to have to learn about new people, new cultures, like, I think that opens the door for a lot of hospitality um, instead of like waiting for it to come to me. Like, and so like, that's hard. Like I kind of have to force myself into it so that I like know that I'm, going out and doing it instead of like doing the easy thing of just waiting for it to like come knock me down and be like hi I need you to please be hospitable right now like I have to make it happen yeah I found um I found this chapter challenging for that reason like the thing he asks us to do is to like go out and do it um I don't think he realized that would be like 2020 and coffee shops could or could not be a life or death situation. But I still felt um, felt uncomfortable because I know that even if it wasn't 2020, it would still be really hard for me to take that first step in friendship to ask someone to join me in that. But I really admire your commitment, Grace to still choosing to take that first step, even when it's difficult to do that sometimes. Yeah, I really, um, it's on page 24 in chapter two, but I highlighted this one part. It's Romans twelve thirteen, but I just really liked the phrasing of like contribute to the needs of God's people. Cause I think that that's like, that's one of those really easy, like, simple statements of like what we need to do which obviously like the bible is this more like encapsulating it it's it's not always like here is one specific instruction of what you need to do there's a lot of like interpretation and contextual like figuring things out and navigating but i think that that's a very helpful for me just like contribute to the needs of God's people. Okay, go do that. How do I do that? How do I just go and love people and do what they need? Um, which again, easier said than done, but it's a, it's a stepping point. I love that phrase. How can I just go and love people? 
which sometimes seems like an easy thing for me. And sometimes it seems like a really hard thing, but I think it's always a good question to ask. Bernard, how do you think you can practice hospitality both, both as yourself and as part of the church? So I'm gonna start with myself. I would say um, we, could we could practice hospitality um, ourselves by just being ourselves. I feel like, at least for me, like growing up in the church space, um, we had to be this certain, we, gotta, we have to be like this certain, um, this certain way. You had to have these kind of rules in order to be like qualified as a Christian. And um, growing up in the, um, um, being involved in the evangelical church that I was with, with them for 23 years. Um, I just wasn't, um, this past year, I wasn't, I took a, um, a sociology course and a human, and that really like opened up my eyes to like how we're, um, how um, institutions like the church make us feel like we're supposed to behave versus like our actual, like who we are as human beings, how we want to behave. And for me, I just, um, it came to terms that I just wasn't happy with um, the way I was behaving, um, not, not, not only with the way how I was acting toward other people, um, but just um, the way that the people I was surrounding, that I was surrounded by interacted with um, LGBTQ members and how they treated LGBTQ members and how they treated um, other um, other um, things in the church, like um, women in ministry and things of that nature. And um, just like coming to terms and realizing that I'm, I don't like, I'm not gonna, I don't feel like I'm living my full, the way, I'm not living the way I feel like God wants me to live if I'm being kept up, held in a cage by an institution such as the church that tells me this is how I'm supposed to live. And I feel like the only way we're able to live, to live out our fullest lives is being that voice of change and busting down, you know, and breaking down the barrier. And um, I would say in terms of how um, um, the second, what was the second question, Brooke? <laughs> Yes, how can we practice that as a church? How can we practice hospitality as a church? I feel like in order of us for us to practice hospitality as a church, we have to be open. We have to be open to change. Um, people are um, not everybody's the same. And therefore, by telling us we have to behave a certain way, um, we can't make that change. So the only way we can change is, is the only way we can come to change is if we're going to be willing to accept everybody. We have to be willing to accept everybody as um, who they are in terms of um, what their stance on the Bible is. Because I feel like in, at least in my, um, when I was growing up, there's only this one way to interpret the Bible and not everybody fits that box of that one of that one way of how um, that institution wants 
test to interpret the Bible. And until we are willing to, you know, be open to different interpretations of how other people interpret in Bibles based off of their, their, their religion, their, their social class, their sexuality, their race, their gender, all that stuff, you know, we can't be open to change. So I guess you could say, I guess the answer to the question is, um, how can we, if, if um, the question is, how can we practice, um, practice that in the church? It basically, um, the question falls back on the church or yeah, the, the question, yeah, you asked them um, if it opened um, in the church, the question ball falls back on the church. The question is, church, are we willing to accept, um, are we willing to accept change? Are we willing to be open to um, new things? Gosh, Renard, I really love that. And I really love how you're taking what you're learning in sociology and thinking of how we can use, how you can use that information to encourage the church to be more loving. I think that's, that's such a profound thing. And an act of, like you're saying, letting yourself be changed by what you are learning to love in a deeper way. One of my favorite things about CCW, when people come into CCW and they're asking about our community, I just describe it as like a circle. Like we all, every member of CCW adds this link to the circle. And the person coming into CCW, they will be able to add into CCW and really make, make us part of like all of the beauty all that only comes when every person brings forth their heart and their passions and themselves um, and i hope that ccw continues to be a place where we are transformed by everyone in it and i also hope that the church can continually strive to be a community where people who enter into it are both transformed by the love of the community, but also feel welcome to transform it themselves. I feel kind of self-indulgent with my last question because I referenced my own Facebook post, but I do think it's relevant to this conversation. I recently made a Facebook post about Christian nationalism and how valuing one's country over others is far from the way of Jesus. This started a conversation about patriotism and if and how we can practice patriotism while also loving all of our global neighbors. How do you think we can celebrate both patriotism and joy? And do you think there is a way to practice both patriotism and the joy of hospitality? And I'm going to start with Grace. I tend to answer questions like this, but yes and no. <laughs> so I think like we definitely can, but one, it's important to check ourselves for um, what Mr. Paul mentions in his first chapter, just like checking ourselves for that innate need for answers, even though we might not know like someone else's culture, we might not know um like our global 
um, neighbors, even though we don't know their culture, like that opens the door for needing answers and then needing to like overpower others to create those answers, even though that's not the answer. Um, so I think it's important one to just check ourselves for that. But also America, whether, whether it's accurate or not, has been presented as, you know, that place where people go to make their hopes and their dreams come true. And like, it's this melting pot or like a salad bowl. Um, and so whether that's like happening or not, that's how it's presented. So I think like we, when people do immigrate here, when people do like just enter our country, like we love them. One, you know, it, it would be great to love all people. That's the goal. Um, but to just like find joy in accepting those people and like recognizing their culture as valid um, and like celebrating them for who they are and what their culture is and then also what it brings. But I think, I mean, even I saw a TikTok recently and I'm not going to name names, but there was a certain outspoken politician who like their family even close enough as like their own parents and then their grandparents um there's just a lot of history of quote unquote illegal immigration um and like visas and not having a work visa but then still working and then this person is still this person is basically negating ways that their family has also joined America, um, that's weird, joined America, entered our country. Um, and so it's just interesting seeing, like, we kind of negate ourselves sometimes when we end up, like, leaving people out. Um, so I think, yeah, you can find a way to, like, both celebrate patriotism in, like, this country that's supposed to be open and accepting, like, do it okay do something like make it happen like that brings joy in accepting people into the country that's supposed to accept people so in theory yes but in practice it hasn't happened yet but it still could hopefully yeah i am i'm thinking of I know a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts about Hamilton and there are just, there's just such an incredible range of different opinions that people can have about this musical. But one of my favorite things about Hamilton and especially to be listening to this musical in 2015 and 2016 when those primaries and the general election was going on was that Hamilton gave me a vision of what I believe this country can be. We can truly consider ourselves a nation of immigrants. We can truly strive to represent freedom and care for humanity. But we have to strive to become that. And I really appreciate that vision. And I appreciate the idea that by striving to become that and by celebrating those qualities, 
we may be transformed into a country that I really do believe is worth celebrating. Neil, I am wondering if you have any thoughts about this. Yeah, this has been a kind of hot topic in my head. Um, again, coming back to the social unrest, even to like today or like last night, a lot of the uh, sort of fundamentalists and whatnot from Trinity will share posts like, oh, you can't serve Jesus and Joe Biden. You can't serve Jesus and Donald Trump. And like a lot of the things they share are just some of them, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance surrounding like patriotism and Christianity, I feel, because so many people are like, at the end of the day, you serve Jesus. You know, Jesus is the most important thing ever. America will pass away, but Jesus is eternal. And then they'll also share things like, America is the greatest country ever. Hoorah! You know, saluting the flag and all that fortunate sun blaring in the background. For me, I am more of a patriot. You know, I think my history teacher once said this best to me. He's like, I am more of a patriot of the idea of America so much, not so much the actual country itself. Like I, cause you know, when the founding fathers wrote, you know, all men are created equal and everything. It's like, I like the idea of a place where people can come for opportunity, you know, and basically have as much freedom as possible. I like the idea that America was founded upon, but of course the actual America is quite, uh, not so good sometimes, um, you know, back then and as well as today. So I'm more so a fan of like the ideas that I wish America would embody more that some people just don't see. But I think also there's somewhat of an ignorance that comes with a lot of us who are born and like live here in America, you know, because a lot of us will sort of laugh at the conservatives and whatnot who will say America is the best country ever. But, you know, I was born in the Philippines. My mother, who you know, was born and raised there, like she came to America and she basically, you know, say that her life is so much better than it is over there. So I think sometimes we're a little ignorant towards people in developing countries um, because to them, America is the greatest country in the world. You know, it's like they don't they don't not a lot of them really dream about sending their kids off to England or Sweden, as good as those countries are, they're like, America, America's the dream, the American dream, like this is it, you know, the land of opportunity. So yeah, that's, those are sort of my thoughts on patriotism. Like, I think it is still possible in a way to be a patriot, but I think, you know, once, I think once your country starts to try to tear down your ideals and whatnot and oppress people and do things that are just wrong. Um, I think it becomes very hard to be a patriot for me at least because, you know, like if, if the country is going against like my beliefs, you know, and is trying to like oppress people and like tear down things that I care about, I don't think I can no longer stand with the country. So yeah, that's where I stand. I, I like the idea of America and the principles that it was founded upon more so than the actual country and what is going on. That's where I stand on it. Yeah, I 
definitely appreciate that perspective, Neil. Um, one thing I've read that I really agree with and that I hope can become a larger part of our national dialogue is that patriotism is different from nationalism, which I think is closer to fundamentalism, and that nationalism is a belief that one's country is superior, that we must support our country at all costs. While patriotism is or can be a more modest love for country, and that I love my country, I love the people in it, and I want it to become the best that it can be. And with patriotism, I do think that there is space and that there needs to be space to say, I love my country, I love its history, I love its people, but I really disagree with this thing that my country is doing right now because I think it doesn't live up to its ideal. In the same way that right now, I'm a very new Methodist, but as a new Methodist and being a part of a church for the first time where I really do have a voice and an ability, however small and however a part of all the many other Methodists in the world, which is also such a beautiful thing, I have the opportunity to say, I love Methodism, but I'm troubled by this, this part of Methodism or this thing happening in my church. I also think that's available to us in patriotism where I can say, I'm really, really grateful that I get to be a part of this country with so many different people and that my family was able to immigrate here and that because of that, I was able to be born, like I'm able to have this experience, which is remarkable on like the scale of humanity and all of human history. I think my country is something remarkable. And I think that this thing is keeping my country from being the thing that it claims to be. Um, Renard, I'm really curious about your answer to this question. And Neil brought up his experience. Did you say, what was the question, bro? <laughs> it's totally okay. And again, I am pretty sure they're very able to cut these things out. The question is, um, is, do you think it is possible to practice both patriotism and hospitality and like the joy of a diverse community? Um, okay, yeah, so let me, let me, let me stop you right there before, because um, these literally these long questions, they're going to get me confused. So I guess like going 
um, like what you said about like with the church, um, you know, like I, I like I said, I've been involved with the Methodist church for 23 years. And like this, um, I actually split from my church because um, um, I guess you could, um, I guess um, because I, I would call this a, a patriotism um, because um, I actually like don't have, I don't have a problem with, um, I feel like everybody, you know, the Bible can be interpreted in many different ways. And um, I think the biggest problem that we have here in America in, um, with religion is that we feel like everything's supposed to be this one way kind of, this one way kind of deal. And um, the one thing that, you know, why I decided to come to terms with my church is because um, um, they're not, um, they weren't, um, they weren't open to change. They're not, they're not open to, um, to women in ministry or things that, um, things that are um, dear and passionate to me. And um, I feel like, yes, you can, um, you can be um, patriotic. Um, you can stand for something, but, um, and it's fine to stand for something, but I feel like there's a line where you push too far and um, it starts to, it starts to cause um, chaos and destruction and all these bad things that, um, that can happen. Yeah, I, it's just so true. And um, I mentioned before, like I was, a part of the Catholic Church, and now I'm a part of the Methodist Church. And I do think, I do think Catholicism is complicated. Like questions are welcome in Catholicism in a way that you might not expect from the outside. But there is this idea of like, it is kind of like royalty. It is kind of like, what's the word? What's the word? Like an ar aristocracy? Like, Yes, Grace, what's the word? I did that thing where I thought I knew it, but I don't think I know it. I got it. It's like a kingship. It's like a kingship. Like, I don't have voice in my church, really, because my priest makes those decisions, and my priest is beholden to the decisions of the bishop, and the bishop is beholden to... And eventually it's like, it comes down to what does the Pope say? But there's a lot of top heavy focus, but not a lot of focus on like my voice and my beliefs as just one person in the church. And I do think that's comparable to kind of like you mentioned, Neil, there are countries where that is the case, where people don't have a voice, where people can't question and make change. And I think that's a really beautiful part of our country that we are allowed to do that. And I think embracing that and questioning not just our country, but ourselves. Why do I believe this? Is my belief from love? Do I support this policy out of love or fear? I think that asking those questions is patriotic and a way of continually promoting a better world. So thank you for sharing that, Renard. And thank you all for being here. I am so grateful to have spent the past hour with you. 
Grace Renard and Neil. Um, yes, I love you all, and I'm so, so grateful. We will be back in another episode talking about chapters three and four, and I am very, very excited to be a part of that conversation as well. So thank you all. And yes, please have a beautiful, wonderful day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Studio Wesley Book Club. Studio Wesley Book Club is powered by Studio Wesley, which exists to curate authentic and informed content that connects with college-aged young adults on their journeys of spiritual and personal discovery. We seek to build a community rooted in faith that values an open, inclusive, and expansive table where all are welcomed, respected, and loved without reservation or exception.